Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode seven of the Shuttle Podcast podcast. I am Echo. And I am Nick. And what's the first topic on our agenda today? Our agenda. Um, I have a number of topics here. Let's see. I think we will talk about the uh, party for Dart. So um, shall I just move right into it? Yeah, go ahead. According to um, Nick Moskowitz of the Lowell Observatory, is that the one you've been to? That is the one in my town, yes. Yes, Lowell Observatory. They're, they're, you might be able to go there, and, and they're having a party. Um, anyway, he says, quote, Thanks to the worldwide effort of observing this system from ground-based telescopes, we know what it will... Excuse me. We know what it looks like before the impacts. After impacts, we'll use some of the same techniques to determine how much dimorphos has moved and ultimately how successful we were. So, the new plan is to crash into Didymos' moon. Apparently, the, the asteroid has a moon called Dimorphos. And hmm. um, uh, on September 26th, they will be having, the Lowell Observatory will be having a party, a watch party for darts. Um, which, hmm. if you don't know, uh, it is the something asteroid redirection test. I think it's direct asteroid redirection test in which they'll smash into the asteroid in an attempt to redirect it. And I've given Dart News three times. This is my third time um, because it's very exciting. So September 26th, there'll be a watch party. So I was... <sighs> I, apparently I am proven incorrect when I said that we won't know what happens until 2026 because apparently the Lowell Observatory will be watching. So that's pretty nifty. Um, apparently the party will be complete with face painting. So if you want to go get your face painted, you can do that. <laughs> you acne. I can't remember the last time I got my face. I think I got it painted as uh, Darth Maul at Disneyland. And then it's like, no, I don't like this. Uh, that's very cool, though. If I do check it out, um, there will probably be a fair amount of uh, of it on our social media. Um, yeah, on our Twitter. Be plugging. <laughs> <Yeah>. Oh, <laughs> I, uh, I made us an Instagram... But um, Twitter is our official social media, I guess, right now. Instagram is not. <laughs> so It's the one um, that Echo spends the most time on. <laughs> yeah, Twitter. <sighs> I, I think I posted to the Twitter a couple of times with the mysterious, mm. um, under the mysterious pseudonym N, because Twitter yeah. has the dumb word count limit for some reason. Will, what I'm wondering is we were... Uh, was it in the original plan to crash into Dimorphos? I think the original plan was Didymos because that's what everyone said, including NASA. But uh. now it's Dimorphos, and um, I I didn't get the memo. <laughs> I didn't get the memo, Why? but now I know. Now I know because yeah. the Lowell Observatory told me. That's... <laughs> I rely on Lowell for for quite a few things I've found actually at this point. Yeah, they actually um their their social media platforms have a fair amount of uh, space news sharing that uh -huh. I find very helpful for keeping up with everything. Because funny enough, taking classes about space and physics and astronomy don't actually keep you up to date with the space news that's happening. <laughs> they just yeah. sort of mention it as an aside. 
by the way, the James Webb telescope was launched. And then everybody goes, <laughs> what is that? <laughs> by the way, yeah, I mean, to be fair, when you first told me of the James Webb telescope, I had no idea what it was. Oh, because yeah. um, I, before we started doing this podcast, I was less concerned about space news and more um, interested in just cool facts about the universe, if that makes sense. <laughs> yeah. Like pulsars, neutron stars, stellar Which classification. Are infinitely cool. Infinitely cool. Oh, what's the, what's the, stu- what's the acronym for it? I, f- I can't remember. It's B A F G K M. Oh, wait, is there an O in there? D- uh, developed in the mid 20th century, I think. Um, there was a-, a way of classifying stars that had to do with their color and temperature, and the way that people memorized it, a la music class remembering what the notes on the on the staves are was oh be a fine girl kiss me <laughs> which i think was very um it's kind of silly but it, it does help yeah, <laughs> honestly it helps because random letters i i absolutely hate um here one of echo's hobbies cars echo absolutely hates it when cars are just named random letters and numbers you didn't even try <laughs> yeah like tesla I think Audi does the worst for me, at least. Uh, Mazda really? as well. It, it's it's also very helpful to have little mnemonics like that. That was the word I was looking for. Mnemonic. I managed to talk around it for a while. I'm actually quite impressed with myself because it is 9 a.m. I forget the meaning of the word mnemonic. For some reason, my word wants... My word... Come on. My brain thinks it's synonymous with the word phonemic. Is that correct? I don't know what phonemic means. Mnemonic... Um, it, think back to like if you've ever had a music class where um you you memorized what notes were the lines on like for example oh, the treble yeah. clef um every every good boy deserves fudge <laughs> yes every good boy deserves fudge mnemonic so that's it's more of a memory thing yeah yeah so that that was the way that we classify stars by temperature is a lettering system that um, has those letters within it. And what was the acronym again? Uh, I think it's "Be a Fine Girl, Kiss Me," but I can't remember if there's extra letters in there or not. "Be a Fine Girl, Kiss That's... Me." <laughs> yeah, yeah. Isn't stellar classification just based on luminosity, or is that is it mass? Well, luminosity has a bit to do with um, mass, but I, uh, gosh, I can't remember off yeah. the top of my head. The, there is a book. On my bookshelf, but that is not accessible to me because I'm in my fancy, fancy recording studio. Yes. Um, be being a 2010 Prius. Yeah. So I'll probably maybe add a note or something within the episode that clarifies what the hell I'm talking about. So, um, a celebration is in order because we are looking at around 25 years of uh, concurrent. A robotic occupation of Mars, not in the military sense, but just in the <laughs> they are there sense. Yeah, we really need to t- tame that space rocks. So you know we've had we've had robots on Mars since the 1960s, really. For the first 30 years or so, we weren't really looking at concurrent robotic presence um, or anything like that. I think it was something like 21 years before the 
Pathfinder mission landed on uh, in 1997. As of now, we're looking at um, yeah about 25 years on the Red Planet. Wow. Uh, come come 2023. You mean consecutive um, years? Yeah. Well, just like with continuous with continuous presence. Yeah. Mm. In fact, <laughs> this does count orbiters, landers, rovers. Um, uh, come 2021 helicopters there is a very handy chart that came with this article that i will probably put in the video or link in the podcast description 1997 the year that it all really kind of started with the consecutive is almost it didn't have that <laughs> because we had the pathfinder uh surgeoner rovers on there but we almost didn't have an overlap when we put the uh mars global surveyor we being the usa i really shouldn't say that the usa put the um, mars global surveyor on the planet and then it's been pretty pretty consistent since then um Mm -hmm. yeah but that's boy that's neat (laughs) an entire uh quarter of a century is Mm -hmm. another way to put it that really kind of puts it into perspective that's an insane amount of time. <laughs> yeah, it's older than me. <laughs> yeah, and obviously these some of these missions have shut down and whatnot just due to how you get barraged by, you know, intense radiation upon landing on the red planet's surface and dust storms and whatnot. So spacecraft can't last long. But ever since 1997, we've been able to send something in there before the other one conks out i was initially you know you read about all the time how people are critical of how much the government doesn't want to spend on nasa how much nasa itself as a result doesn't want to spend on things like planetary exploration with beep boops this is a really neat way really neat way of thinking about it we've had that presence for for so long now and I, i i can only hope that we keep it up because um perseverance is quite a resilient uh, machine and mm-hmm. as well as honestly ingenuity just because it's so small i'm very happy about that so kudos quite the nifty little fact i am personally very excited for perseverance to um bring back samples oh yeah it's even collected an atmosphere sample which i think is nifty oh really i love to open up that bad boy crack it open in a vacuum breathe it in breathe it in yeah and just huff it <laughs> Yeah, that's how science is done, right? Yeah, science. I'm not a chemistry major. Science is fueled <laughs> either on coffee or cocaine. <laughs> Jesus, <laughs> I just made that up. Good morning. It's not, not strictly true. <laughs> I keep telling my parents they need to put the cocaine back in Coca-Cola. Um, <laughs> I, I use soda Where to wake myself up. This is coming up. from. This is coming from the fact that I use soda to wake myself up, and I like to make jokes about drugs. Okay, I got it. I'm a silly man. I don't know. I don't have much more to say on that topic. Do you? Uh, No. Just nifty stuff. Very Very nifty Mm -hmm. stuff. I'm proud of Perseverance. I do have a topic on Perseverance to share, though. So, apparently, Perseverance found... Organic-esque sediment. Organic-esque. Where all the articles said that organic material was found, but then when I looked into the articles more, I found out that that was clickbait. Uh, what I Oops. what was actually found was um, material that 
is often found alongside organic material. Um, so basically, Perseverance is in the Jezero Crater right now, which is a massive crater yeah. many miles across that was thought to uh, be a giant reservoir of water in the past. And sedimentary rock was found in this crater, right? Not just igneous rock, which is from uh, volcanoes. volcanoes, magma, etc., which is more common, but um, sedimentary mm -hmm. rock. Which has a lot more to do with water. Yes, yes. Water creates sedimentary rock, for those of you who don't know. I will thank you for reminding me to assert that. The samples Ooh. feature a class of molecules correlated with sulfate minerals. Sulfate minerals found in sedimentary rock can give information about the environments in which they formed. So, overall, um, it's a very interesting find. It's not strictly organic material in the sense that it's a fossil or a rotting decomposing plant or something like that. It's just interesting rocks that we've found. <laughs> from, from what I understand, this is something that we have often found alongside um, organic materials yes. here on Earth. Yes, yeah, that's correct. So to see that mimicked, even though Mars is so different, <laughs> it's just something that people don't often take into account. You can jump three times as high as you can on Earth. Yeah, for um, now. As well as constant barrage of solar radiation. That is still a really neat find. Because, like, what else do we have to go off of? An, a, a cool factoid sort of related to that. Um, you know, we have so much water here on Earth, you would think. Mm -hmm. um, even though it's all in the crust, and the crust is about... Um, the crust is to the rest of the Earth's layers, as an apple skin is to the rest of the apple. But the amount of salt water we have here on Earth is very abundant, obviously. The amount of fresh water is about... I just give it like a tenth, just according to how I remember the, the graphic that was pulled up. Um, but the amount of livable water, the amount of like biologically available water is so small in comparison to both of those that it really sort of shot up my hopes about places like Europa, which have a huge amount of water, more water, even more liquid water than even here on Earth. So, like, even if a tiny amount of that is livable, even if a tiny amount of the water in Jezero Crater is livable and was able to give that sort of deposit that was found in the rock that was very elegantly drilled into, I'm looking at the picture now, is very, very exciting. <laughs> I didn't even get a picture. Uh, the Mars Daily article has a drill picture. Yeah, that might be the one the I used. Staff writers. Oh, that's quite the image. Yes, we should... Put that in the video. Mm -hmm. I'm downloading it currently. <laughs> Reminds me um, of a video I saw in which scientists on the North Pole drill down and get these like 12 foot long poles of ice from the glaciers. And oh, yeah. they'll be like, this ice on the bottom here is 12,000 years old. And he's just touching it. <laughs> <laughs> like that must be so cool. Just... And now this water is now years old. Yes, this water is now years old. Just drinks it. <laughs> I don't know if I should say this in a public setting, but we, I, uh, my anthropology teacher has admitted to either tasting or being in the same room as people who have tasted their samples. 
apparently I, I remember reading once that in archaeology um if you lick it and it doesn't stick to your tongue then it's not bone but if you lick it and it does then it's bone so that's one of the litmus tests you can do to figure out if you have a fossil <laughs> I, I learned that from an instagram post which was just screenshot of a tumblr post or maybe it was twitter so don't take it too seriously and if you eat it and it makes your tum tum hurt, then it is not food. That is correct. If you eat it and you die, it's not food. Yeah, that that that, that much is true. <laughs> Unless it's like peanut butter or something. Um, no, <laughs> it still it still holds. So I know we don't often talk about um, sort of backyard astronomy, astronomy that you can do yourself. We usually stick to exoplanets and things that happen on the surface of other places that if you can see good for you but if most of us can't but this one has to do with something that is visible to the naked eye usually in the night that is that jupiter on monday september 26th will come as close as it usually comes to earth as close um, as it can get yeah this is a an instance called opposition and it happens about every 13 months this means that jupiter will come about 365 million miles or um uh, close to uh, 600 million kilometers away from earth uh this is opposed to the farthest that it can get 600 million kilometers or about yeah, a billion uh or 600 million miles or about a billion kilometers away from earth at its farthest now you will be able to see this um difference if you were to look if you were to look now and uh, six and a half months from now um, at the same magnification, it is just a tiny shift. One thing that I did want to talk about is that for exoplanetary science, we have a way of discovering the, the presence of a planet by its tug on its um, local star. Jupiter does this to Earth, is the most massive planet, even though it takes up uh, less than one two hundredth of uh, the solar system's mass. It does tug on the sun quite a bit. Now, uh, if we were super acute in our senses, we would definitely be able to feel that Jupiter tugs on us at opposition, um, making us just a little bit lighter. Um, this is the same uh, dynamic that you get when you become a little bit lighter, when the moon is overhead. Obviously, you can't feel it, but I do remember... At one point in physics class, our, our, our teacher did tell us to jump at a, exactly a very particular time of that day because the moon would come the closest overhead <laughs> that it would ever come. That's funny. Um, or that, that it would ever come for that year or so. I'm assuming you didn't <laughs> yeah, notice which too much really of a difference. So, no, no, not really, unfortunately. <laughs> <laughs> I became like the ties and just got very large. Um, no, I'm not water, unfortunately. I'm almost water, but I'm not quite. Mostly water. So yeah, I, I highly encourage you on Monday, September 26th, depending on your time, I definitely encourage you to look into that because I can't tell every uh, 24th of the earth to jump at <laughs> at the right time. But um, yeah, go ahead and do the conversion. Jump at that very specific time. I know I will be doing it um, <laughs> just because I'm a giant nerd. Uh, but this is not a normal opposition. 
I should probably should have brought that up earlier. The past 70 years have not been close to what we, uh, what we are about to get. The, this is the closest approach that Jupiter will make in these 70 years. Um, and even though it's tiny, obviously, um, it's still, you know, all the more encouragement to give a little hop. <laughs> yeah, I'll definitely be figuring that out because I'll go outside and I'll jump around like an idiot for a few minutes <laughs> and no one will see me because I live out in the middle of nowhere. So that is yeah, that's... the solace I can take. That's quite the advantage you've got, and I've got upstairs and downstairs neighbors. Yeah, you'll have to do it in the parking lot. Woohoo. Yeah, that's even worse. I feel like... Don't worry, just put in, like, headphones and listen to a really good song, and then you won't be thinking about what other people think. It's large man is, is waking us all up, jumping around at the parking <laughs> lot. <laughs> okay, Sorry. And the gravity is just so low, you jump and you land on top of the building. <laughs> this, jump, this large man just jumped on the roof. <laughs> oh, that's silly. <sighs> I have no further comments on that topic, but I think it is very nifty and I will be participating. Yeah. Shall we move on? Uh, yeah, I don't have anything to say as well. Okay. Other than a very silly hypothetical in which Jupiter is a lot closer to... Uh, Earth. Yeah, it falls to Earth like Majora's Mask. Oh boy, that would be Earth would fall into it. Majora's yeah, Mask was just the moon. True. <laughs> it's true. It's true. Majora's Mask was just the moon, and it had a face and everything. Yeah, that would be terrifying. Yeah. Everything would become foggy and everything. Yeah, I, I like never finished. I never finished Majora's <laughs> Mask. I got really stressed out when I was playing it. I couldn't finish it. That's fair. That's fair. It's very. It's a very. Uh, it definitely does not waste any time telling you how much time you have left to live, <laughs> which is something I couldn't really not stress about. Yeah. Anyway, next topic, new topic. <laughs> uh huh. Yeah. Um. Well, uh, next topic is something that I did not say in the beginning of the episode, but if you missed the last episode, we have a website now. It's shuttlepodcast dot space. Um, shuttlepodcast.space.com. Yeah. And the reason I say this is because you can go on there and submit things for us to talk about if you want. Mm -hmm. So you can do that. Um, anyway, moving on. Uh, here's something that actually is real kind of related to the, my last topic. So yeah, maybe I should have shared them like in conjunction, but I'm sharing them now. <laughs> uh, there are more hypothetically, okay. Hypothetically, theoretically, there are more water worlds in the galaxy, in the universe, than we originally thought. How this model works is um, that the densities of many planets suggest that they are too light for their size to be made up of pure rock. We figure this out by catching the shadow that the planet creates when it passes in front of the star um, mm -hmm. to find a diameter, and then we measure the tiny gravitational pull that the planet exerts on a star, uh, which I suppose is comparable to what Echo was just sharing, uh, in order to find its mass. And um, with the mass and diameter, we can kind of figure out the makeup of the star based, or excuse me, planet, based on our knowledge of planetary composition and how heavy things are 
supposed to be in that mess. So, uh, so the model the model basically just says that all the rocky planets that we've discovered are lighter than they should be. Um, so theoretically, there's just a bunch of frozen rocky water on these worlds. So uh, they're not like water worlds, like liquid water, but they're icy worlds. Is Europa the, worlds. Europa worlds, yes. And Colitis worlds. All, all that jazz. As of now, um, you know, we have our technological limitations and whatnot, but... You know, if you were to drop me on any exoplanet and just give me the choice of type, I would definitely choose one of the frozen ones. <laughs> that's mm-hmm. that's the one that we have the more technology to survive on. That's the one that oh, really? has the water that we need to drink, <laughs> obviously. I mean, water. we have labs and stuff on, uh, on Antarctica, and we tend to do fine there. I, I Obviously, if you were to drop me in a place like Yakutia, Russia, I wouldn't. I wouldn't fare great without without a shelter or anything like that. Um, I would die. But, I just know that much. Yeah, Ig- igloos are definitely helpful for that. You know, it, yeah, I I definitely I I get a different brand of excitement whenever I hear about an icy world or something like that because that's mm-hmm. the closest we really have to finding an Earth. Just in terms of, like I said, our, our proportions for by for livable water. Um, as opposed to the rest of the water on the earth is so small that just means that if you if you take those odds that we have on earth obviously there's going to be slight variances and whatnot but you know it's a pretty safe bet that that's going to be what you're looking at for a bit of the planets that we find you amplify those by even a small world by europa like europa um it has a lot of water in it um, so probably even more of that is biologically livable. Probably even more if you were to find a more massive um, uh, planet than Europa that was made of a lot of water, or find a ma- more massive planet than the Earth that had the same amount of water as Earth. It just increases the chances of biologically livable water from what I understand. And obviously, um, statisticians are going to yell at me, and I'm yelling at myself because I hate statistics. <laughs> but just from those proportions alone that's the source of my of the different brand of excitement i guess yeah. a world where you can actually eat the rocks and get nutrition <laughs> or, 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 or like live um <laughs> the scene comes to mind from monsters inc with the with the one that offered them snow cones yeah that uh, that's really awesome that it's, it's just so common now also, once again, with the Space Daily, uh, staff writers, a very, a very popular author on there. Thank you, thank you, Mister Writers. Mister Writers, I, I, I've always wondered why the people that write these articles prefer to stay anonymous. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Probably because they just rip the article from someone else. It also I've... could be that it's just so collaborative that you know, I'm not just clicking on it. <laughs> I guess no, it doesn't let me click on it. <laughs> it's well. On many of these websites, I've found that they verbatim, word for word, copy the oh. space news from other space news websites. So Oops. what is, you know, where is the origin point? Where is ground zero for this article? No one knows. I'm sure <laughs> if I did enough digging, I could figure it out, but I don't. Um, when you said eating rocks, Zelda once again came to mind with the Gorons. Um, oh, yeah. Yeah, those, those fellows, they gobble up rocks. 
but yeah, that's that's all I have to say on on. I don't I don't have too much more to say on the topic to be honest. It's just very exciting stuff. You mentioned um, the livability of these planets and that if you were to be anywhere, you'd want to be on an ice world. And sometimes I catch myself thinking like, I wish I could just decorporealize and as like an entity, just go to all these different planets and be able to like see all the cool different vistas and views without actually physically taking damage from having a planet that's at an extremely low temperature, like 120 kelvins or some shit. Um, or all that jazz, like just decorporealize and experience nature and experience the universe. Mm-hmm. Space engine definitely helps, helps you get your Yeah, food, space uh, engine, space engine. Um, I can't really like land on the planet and take in the vistas very well though. It's more of the um, orbital view. Um, that's why I like Elite Dangerous so much is that I can land on a planet and find like a spectacular view and know that it's scientifically accurate. Um, that's, yeah, it's amazing. But I, I, I remember this desire of mine originated when I watched Planet Earth 2 um, with my uncle at his house. He has like the nicest TV of anyone I know other than my brother. He has an extremely nice, like, 8K TV or some shit. So, um, I was seeing all these spectacular views of, like, Antarctic or Arctic lands and and rainforests and all that jazz. And I was like, wow, like, I know my body could never handle being at these locations, but I wish I could just decorporealize and experience their beauty without physically feeling the discomfort that my body would feel. Cosmos is another really good outlet for that. The old or the new one. I mean, if you can find the old one, I'm not going to tell you how to <laughs> how to get it. But the new one especially, I think that's on uh, outlets that National Geographic streams on. I know a lot of people don't like Neil, but he does a good job of getting you interested in, in what he's talking about in the 2014 series. So I definitely recommend it along yeah. those lines. If you, like both of us, have the urge to decorporealize every now and again and just explore the the vast beauties of the universe what streaming services is that on do you know i i'm apprehensive to say disney plus just because i don't like disney but if if national geographic streams on any other services um i think it was originally aired on cbs so it would have to be disney that'd be paramount i think cbs paramount plus is their streaming service. I know this because CBS All Access was what I did for Star Trek, and then it became Paramount Plus. Um, So either Paramount bought it or um, CBS All Access turned into Paramount Plus. Um, But now I get to watch... I watch Star Trek on the regular TV, and I have to watch commercials where they ask you if you've... But they ask you really personal questions. Yeah, like, have you had health problems from this? Well, call now and you can get compensation. It's it's a channel for really old people, and I know this because all the ads cater to old people, like Life Alert ads and all that jazz. But I am I'm the uh, outlier among the audience of that. TV station because I like Star Trek every day from 7 p.m. to midnight. I get to watch Star Trek. It's pretty cool. Uh, 
I don't know if this is a good thing or a bad thing in relation to it being on Disney, but you can watch it on Fox for free. All the Star Treks? Um, no, the Cos- the 2014 Cosmos. Oh, Cos... Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, no, I'm just <laughs> off topic <My> here. <laughs> <sighs> yeah, poor Disney. I'll probably do that then tonight because I'm very curious. Um, Fox Tubi, which is... I don't know if that's owned by anybody. Um, if you have a Hulu subscription, if you have a YouTube subscription, if you have a Sling TV subscription, um, cancel that because they are mean <laughs> to you. <laughs> uh, Apple TV, one ninety nine, Vudu, one ninety nine, Amazon Prime Video from one ninety nine. I don't know how they would upprice it. <laughs> yeah, um, but yeah, that and Possible Worlds, which is the newer. Um, brand sort of of Cosmos that um, Neil and Andrian, Andrian, uh, whatever, had had that hand in creating. But really, nothing beats the nostalgia of the old Cosmos for me. It's just so, it's so charming and and wonderful, and it dives into, uh, you know, it's some of the scenes are shot within a lab that's doing an experiment that uh, Sagan is talking about. Oh, um, really? A specific, a specific example that comes to mind is uh, sort of reproducing something that was that people weren't sure if you could reproduce that had a lot of connotations for how life developed on Earth. And the shot was just Sagan standing next to a giant glass bottle in which that process was happening. And I really liked it. I don't know why this reminds me of that, about that anomalous radiation that was newly discovered. Um... Was that Carl Sagan that debunked that? Which? Or where, no, where no, that one? was that was. Oh come on, come on. What what is it? Come on, brain, think, think, think. <laughs> that okay. So essentially, there's this substance that emitted this anomalous radiation. So they were like, hey, it's a new type of radiation. And then oh, the, the guy whose name I can't think yeah. of. Richard Feynman was the one who... Feynman, yes! Who, who stole the sample and then tested it at home and, figured, and found out that it was actually just x-ray. Yeah, just x-ray and malfunctioning equipment somehow. Z-ray is not a thing that exists. The Z-ray, not yet anyway. <laughs> <laughs> uh, shall we move on? Uh, sure, sure. I think... I think it's, is whose turn is it? Is you's turn is. My turn? Yes. Okie day. Um. Wait. No. <laughs> no, okay. But you can go if you want. Okay. How many do you have left? I have one. You have two, one left, two? Three. Three. Um. I also one. have three left. Okay, four, so please. you have four. Okay. So here's a fun one. Um. There is a new International Space Station commander, uh, Samantha Cristoforetti. I know I'm not pronouncing that correctly, despite my Italian heritage. (laughs) Um, Anyway, upon taking her new role, she will become the fifth European commander of the ISS. Uh, The prior commanders were Frank de Wynne, Alexander Gerst, Luca Par... Mitano and Thomas Pesquiet. 
Sorry. <laughs> Thomas Pesquet. Thomas Pesquet. Thomas Pesquet. Sorry, everyone. Because he's the Frenchest person in the world. Frenchest person in the world. Sorry, everyone, for mispronouncing your names. Um, I know none of you will listen to this. but uh, Yeah, yeah, yeah. She's the first European female commander of the station, which is cool. Uh, the director, Josef Ash, Aschbacher, sorry, um, says Samantha's selection for, quote, Samantha's selection for commandership clearly demonstrates the faith and value our international partners place in ESA astronauts. Through her Minerva mission, she has contributed greatly to the scientific and operational success successes of the station and i anticipate that it will continue to thrive under her command unquote yeah so that's that's really cool also i have i actually have four topics not three so um (laughs) oops i mean that's all i have to say on the topic it's cool that there's a new it's space news right it's space news it's space news so christopher reddy is also very cool even before this i think she had a TED talk or some sort of presentation that I'll I'll link where she just talked about her experience with I believe the particular one was uh 42 expedition 42 to the ISS she's definitely a veteran of this giant floating space tube that we've put up there tube I mean that's basically what it is it's it's the size of a football field but most of it is just radiators and solar panels yeah, tube with wings. We just got about a meter diameter of floating around space. Yeah, she she I, I she's definitely a very uh, she's she's going to do well. I know this for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I I have no more comments. <laughs> uh, me neither. <laughs> All right, shall we move on? Oh, okay. Let's see. That's a good one. Uh, oh. I guess we should address this. Um, the uh, SLS rocket carrying the Artemis One mission um, unfortunately did not launch. It had a launch attempt. It got rolled out to the pad. It got fueled up, but did not make it off the launch pad due to an engine malfunction. I believe it was a sensor that read weird. Yeah, August 29th, we were looking at pretty good prospects to launch. Um, but before it could make it off the launch pad at 8.33, engine three of uh, the rocket's four engines was uh, giving a readout that had a very, very high temperature, and unfortunately, it was just due to um, um, that sensor malfunctioned, I believe, but there was also a fuel leak because one of the valves hadn't been properly tested, so that was a mess, but we're going to try again on September 27th. So wow. uh, definitely tune into that. Yeah, so you can whoops. You can go visit the um you can go visit the dart party on the 26th and then come home, wake up the next day and tune into the Artemis 1 <laughs> launch the 27th. Very spacey spacey weekend. Yeah, very spacey when weekend. Is, when is Jupiter doing its thing again? Let's see. September 26th is also <laughs> the night that Jupiter is going to come. Wow. So go, to... go on to Lowell. Um, it's yeah. it's a pretty small facility, but I'm sure they can all fit you onto the pad. Yeah, find um, a group of people uh, to jump with you. <laughs> yeah, 
<laughs> and then Vowel well, will most likely be streaming that event, just knowing how they do things. And uh, and then wake up early next morning for the launch. Yeah, Sean the Sheep will be going to space. What? <laughs> you didn't hear about that? No, I'd only know about the mannequin. It is the mannequin. It basically, um, the little there's like a little caricature of Sean the Sheep, and they put the little caricature, like a stuffed animal or whatever the hell it is, um, they put the little creature in like various space training simulations and put it on rockets and shit like that to train, quote-unquote, it. Um, hmm. And then they're going to stick Sean the Sheep on Artemis 1, and it's he's going to sling around the moon. Um, to be the first is that little, going to be the... He'll be the first little cartoon sheep to visit the moon and come back. Oh, Ardman is... I, if they don't make a film about that, I'm going to be upset. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm, um, sure that, I'm sure there'll be like a YouTube documentary on it. When I, when I first well, I mean, uh, read those news articles about Shaun the Sheep, I actually didn't... For some reason, I thought it was a real sheep um, that they were sending <laughs> to space. I was like, wow, they're putting a sheep around the moon just because they can. But no, it's just a little <laughs> stuffed animal, I think. Is that going to be the zero-g indicator? Uh, what was the mission name? Various missions, as of late especially, have had um, a little stuffed animal or small trinket that doesn't have harmful edges that they kind of just let loose in the space station to see when they go into microgravity. So I was wondering if Sean the Sheep would be would be that. Maybe. Yeah, that's pretty much all I had to say about that. Yeah, me too. Uh, that would be a Tuesday, which I, I, I bet my math teacher would enjoy very much. Oh, so it's uh, not a weekend. School, my high school math teacher would was very uh, was a very big fan of the day Tuesday for various reasons. He he ran it. He huh. he took about a quarter of the class explaining why. <laughs> when I can't wow. remember exactly, that'll be good. Is it your turn or my turn? Uh, I just did the SLS thing. I'm gonna cross out some of the stuff. Like I have there. three left. Um, how many do you have left? Two. Um, ba, 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 ba. one, two, three. We both have three. Looks like you will be finishing us off then, um, unless okay. No one, one, two, two, three. Yeah. Okay. So here's a fun one. Um, this is so here's a really fun one. So there's a new approach for detecting protoplanets and. Uh, right away, this little approach found a little baby Saturn, just a little baby one. Um, oh. So the Center for Astrophysics and the um, Harvard, excuse me, the Harvard and Smithsonian Center for Astrophysics uh, re-examined the LKCA15 protoplanetary disk. So this is 518 light years away. So it's it's a skip and a hop, and. Um, they used computer models to figure out what was causing a buildup of material in the disk and um, the size and locations of a clump of material essentially matched the model for the presence of a planet. So we discovered a little baby Saturn in the disk. That's pretty cool. Hmm. Um, so the co-authors... How, how, how baby is it? <laughs> uh, I don't know. Very baby. Okay. <laughs> um, the co-authors of the study are Sheen, Sheen, Sean, Sean. Oh my fucking god! <laughs> yeah, 
Sean from <laughs> from Jimmy Neutron. Sean my, my brain's just way too ahead of my mouth, and then I just trip on my words. Sean Andrews, Chunhua Kui, David Wilner, Karen oh, Oberg, um, Shang Yia Zhang, and Zohuan Zhu of the University of Nevada. Wait um, one second. I'll be able to get to those names in a sec. Uh, little baby Saturn. There it is. In fact, I don't think I shared this document with you that I'm using uh, right now. Um, you can view the document now because I just shared it with you. Yippee. Yippee ki yay. Um, okay. And Miriam Benesti of the University of Grenoble, Stefano Ficini of the University of Milan, Andrea Isella of Rice University, Jaehan Bay of University of Florida, Jane Huang of University of Michigan, and Ryan Loomis of the National Radio Astronomy Observatory. It's quite a mouthful. Quite a few names. <laughs> Science is a very good... What? <laughs> Science is very good when it's more collaborative. Yes. Which is why staff writers should definitely let, like open up his work. <laughs> that, that's true, yes. That guy named Staff Writers. Yeah. <laughs> I Can you imagine name, how unfortunate it would name be my kid if you that. actually named Staff Writers? I should name my kid Staff Writers Stagliano. <laughs> Where did you send the... I just sent it to your email. Oh, I, I see. Uh, I hit share. I need to move Shine that document use. into our, like, shared Google Drive folder. <laughs> Chunwak Chi, David Wilner, Karen Oberg, uh, Shang Jazong, Zhang, <laughs> Zawanju, yeah, University of me. Nevada, Stefano <laughs> Facini, University of Milan. Yeah, all over the world. Nevada, um, Milan, Rice University, wherever that is. I, half of me is almost tempted to make the little baby Saturn uh, a sort of mascot of ours. Because that just sounds adorable. Adorable. <laughs> <laughs> little baby Saturn. Just a little baby. <laughs> yeah, it, if, you, if you enter it, it'll rip you apart, but in a cute way. In a cute way. <laughs> yeah, it's like a xenomorph. <laughs> Did you ever watch the Alien vs. Predator movies? I watched both independently, but I didn't watch when they fought each other. Yeah, I haven't watched the Predator movies. I've seen the Alien movies. I am curious. I watched Prey, okay? So I watched one Predator movie. Um, and I am curious mm. who wins. Because... Like, I, I've heard that got in Godzilla versus King Kong, they tied, which is bullshit, because Godzilla is <laughs> just such a clear, clear winner. Godzilla's a god. King Kong's just monkey. <laughs> <sighs> That's all I have to say on the topic. Do you have anything else? No, that was my last thing. All right. Would you like to share a topic then? Yeah. God, that... Speed of light stuff intimidates me so much because it's so interesting, but <laughs> but I know I'm gonna butcher it so much. Yeah, fair um, enough. Let's do Voyager. So, uh, let's wait for the <laughs> let's wait for the article to load before I start talking about it. Okay, I'll just say this much. Um, this article was published on August thirtieth, so 
we'll just say it happened a small amount of, an epsilon of time before that, but we can officially stop biting our nails and crossing our teeth. What? Uh, and crossing our fingers. Because the engineers of Voyager 1 have uh, officially repaired the issue affecting its telemetry data earlier this year. The probe's altitude articulation control system, or ACTS, was giving really weird readings. Um, And now we don't exactly know the source of this weird anomalous um, wretch within the system of the beautiful spacecraft Voyager 1, but it is no more. So now we just, I guess we keep proceeding as as we were going. Um, Wasn't Voyager discontinued? It won't. Actually, no. It's it's still up, I think. There was the Discord message that didn't have any citations. It definitely will be by 2025. The plutonium uh, within it won't uh, be plentiful enough to power any I of its systems. I seem to remember reading that it was discontinued. I mean, I'm not saying you're a liar. I'm saying that either I am wrong or you are wrong. I'm going to go to my Google Drive, Shuttle Podcast, Bullet Points, Voyager, Voyager. I I have to be high. What is happening? (laughs) Do I just remember wrong? Well, I do remember the Discord message. I actually looked at it to see, because I also had to do a double take about this as well. I was like, this doesn't seem right at all. But checking multiple sources, I have three listed. None of none of them say that the mission was the mission got the plug pulled on it. Um, especially with Wikipedia, I'm pretty sure it would have been updated if it was officially discontinued. Um, so I guess we were mistaken. I guess apparently I never presented on the topic. I remember being legitimately afraid that it would get shut down prematurely because we mm-hmm. still have about three years of plutonium left. Um, but it's it's still good, it looks like, um, for at least what we're able to power. But come 2025, we will not be able to cross our fingers about that. The plutonium will just be gone. That's how decay works, um, unfortunately. I can't find any... You're right. You're completely right. And for some reason, I remember reading articles about it and talking about it on the podcast that Voyager was discontinued. Hmm. I I can't find notes on the topic in, in my podcast notes. So I remember wrong. And you are completely correct according to me searching Voyager probe discontinued on the internet right now. So... I'm 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 very happy that it's still yes yeah it still has uh, still, still has, has some life. life left. I'm just now all I no, whoa now all that I can hope for is that plutonium suddenly decides to live longer, and we were mistaken about its half life or something. <laughs> but I know we definitely aren't because particle physicists are usually right about things. Plutonium's been fueling the probes for how long now, though? 45 years. 45 years. That's a pretty hefty number of years. Mm-hmm. In fact, plutonium, we still use quite a bit. I think we use it in most of the 
We use it in Perseverance, I'm almost certain. Oh, interesting. Some some sort of radioactive material. I'm almost certain it's plutonium just because it's so... Um, it, I mean, 45 years, that's really handy to power a long-term mission like that. Opportunity was solar-powered, so we couldn't really... <laughs> For some reason, I was going to say, oh, that's in smoke detectors, but I think that's actually not true. I think it's thorium. I do believe it's thorium as well. Wait a minute. I don't know if it's either of those. Smoke detector. Americium? (laughs) Americium? That's very... (laughs) This is the funniest instance of irony. Um, Yes, most household detectors contain a very small amount of Americium-241, a radioactive isotope. And this is... (laughs) It's very funny, first of all, that americium is a radioactive element, but also this is an article from a Canadian web domain, which is also which is pretty funny. It's pretty silly. Not thorium, not plutonium, but uh, United Statesium. <laughs> United Statesium, yeah, yeah, the best the best radioactive element on Earth, according to the radioactive element, according to its discoverers. According to its discoverers. That's, yeah, that's silly. That's all I had to say on this topic. Um, did you have anything else to say on this topic? No, other than that, I am no longer crossing my teeth. No longer crossing your teeth, yeah. Don't worry, I'll cross my teeth for you. Well, here's here's a, uh, what do I even have left? I have two left, and one of them is really short. So uh, here's the short one. Um, Chinese astronauts on the Tiangong space <laughs> that station. That is pretty short. I thought you were just going to say Chinese astronauts. Oh, yeah. That's pretty short. Yeah, those, those fellows are short. Um, no, that's not what I meant. Oh. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, well, moving on with the point, um, Chinese astronauts... Uh, on the Tiangong Space Station in celebration of the Autumn Festival, ate a meal with lettuce, with entire lettuces that were grown on the space station, homegrown, homegrown lettuce in space. So that has to be pretty cool. I It probably just tastes the same, but that, that has to be pretty cool. Actually, I doubt it. Um, a lot of plants tend to rely on gravity to to grow in certain ways so Mm. their cells will sort of freak out if they're in zero g i don't know about what type of lettuce this is yeah i don't Um, think it said it just said lettuce uh based on the images though i think it was iceberg honestly i don't know if it's just because i'm very hungry right now i kind of want a bite (laughs) yeah i you know i'd kill someone for a chicken salad sandwich right now sounds amazing would it be worth it? It would be worth it. It would be worth someone's life. How how would that turn up to the jury? Was, Your Honor, I was really hungry. <laughs> <laughs> I understand. Dismissed. <laughs> yeah. Here's a fun topic. Um, not half as fun as the last one, but still fun. NASA is funding the study of uh, orbit, orbital debris and dealing with it because there is a lot of space garbage in orbit. Apparently, it's really hard to get a satellite into orbit, and you need to do a bunch of crazy math, but it's really easy to just accidentally put trash and garbage into orbit because there's a lot of scrap just orbiting the planet right now. 
So NASA is funding research proposals for space garbage. A bunch of proposals were submitted, and then NASA is funding three. And the proposals are, um, quote, adaptive space governance and decision support using source sync evolutionary environmental models, unquote, submitted by Richard Linares and Danielle Wood of the Massachusetts Institute. Massachusetts. Massachusetts. MIT. <laughs> yeah, MIT. <laughs> and Moriba Ja of the University of Texas, Austin. The other, the second of the papers is, quote, an integrated assessment model for satellite constellations and orbital debris, unquote, submitted by Akil Rayo of Middlebury College, Daniel Caffeine <laughs> of University of Colorado Boulder, and Brian Whedon of the Secure World Foundation. And then um, the third research proposal that has been funded is, quote, communication and space debris connecting with public knowledges and identities, unquote, submitted by Patrice Call, Sergio Alvarez, and Philip Metzger of the University of Central Florida. I am butchering Sergio. these names. I, I, I'm sorry for to everyone that has a name that I've pronounced. I, I apologize for that. If we ever, if we ever do a panel or something like that in the <laughs> infinite, in the infinitely far future, I do expect many people to butcher both of our names, <laughs> yeah. just as a joke. I have a question for Nicholas. <laughs> Nicholas, yeah. The the I mean, the furthest off I've heard from Nicholas is Nicolas because that's like the Spanish pronunciation. Yeah, quite a, quite a bit of the world actually. Nick is just easier than. Then uh, it's one syllable. It's you can't. How do you mess up one syllable? Watch me. Um, <laughs> yeah, I'm sure I did just now, to be honest. Um, and then echo. That's a word. That's not even a name. So you can't screw that up. <laughs> Once again. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I invite myself to try. Eco. Yeah, I have a question for eco. Goodness. So, um, yeah, there was just a lot of space junk in orbit. And actually, I think I remember reading about how space, like a SpaceX part of a rocket landed in a sheep farm in Australia, I think. So, it I don't know. It could have hit someone's house. Highly unlikely, but it could have happened. Sheep in space is a current contender for the episode title. Sheep in space. <laughs> yeah two two things about sheep that's all i have that's all my topics oh okay let's check the battery 12 percent. oh let's my goodness check the other battery eight percent oh my I goodness think i have time for one <laughs> okay we can try it so um ever since we started the iss mission way back in 180 no um I cannot remember the year for the life of me. In the 90s, back when we started um, the ISS mission and occupied the that hunk of metal that we decided to build, we've been increasingly aware of what space will do to an astronaut's health, even if we're within the uh, magnetosphere. Um, astronauts still experience quite a bit of uh, health issues upon returning back to Earth or even up there to begin with. Um, from the obvious to disorientation from 
shifts in gravity from going from 1g to 0g to more subtle things like your blood getting weirder or your bone uh, mass deteriorating your muscle mass is definitely something that people have been concerned about for a while mm -hmm. you require exercise for a certain amount of hours uh per day on the iss just to keep uh just so that you don't become jello when you come back but we have a breakthrough currently we have a very nice um little addition to our repertoire of uh astronaut health analysis the NASA Human Research Program's Exploration Medical Capability, or EXMC, team has successfully tested the reusable handheld electrolyte and laboratory technology for humans. Guess what acronym that means? Our Health uh, One <laughs> Biomedical <laughs> Analyzer. <laughs> That's silly. not a stretch in the slightest. <laughs> um, but this is a device that is portable and it uses laser technology to diagnose illness or injury. Basically, what we're looking at is uh, it, it takes a drop of blood, saliva, or urine to put into the reader, um, and within minutes, this is quoting Eugene Chan, uh, inventor of the unit, they have the results of a range of crucial health indicators. Hmm. Basically, two prongs. You have a sensor affixed to the chest, and it's basically just... Uh, it, it, it gives readouts about crudal, uh, vital crudal crucial vital signs and whatnot <laughs> and then you sample yourself and find out a pretty concise find out pretty concise data of um what is going on in your body um another fun fact uh samantha christopheretti has appeared twice in this uh episode whether we whether the listener will know or not um because she is the thumbnail image for this article hmm I imagine that little piece of tech must cost a fortune. Must be worth yeah, millions. And and we have stuff like this. We have analogs of this on Earth. You know, we have oh, really? um, blood sugar testers where you can just prick yourself and whatnot. But this is like the premium of that. It's got a lot going on in there, and it gives. It, it's it's specially adapted for microgravity at this at this point, which is something that you can't say about an EpiPen or. A blood sugar test strip. <laughs> yeah, that's that's pretty cool. I, I will say now that my battery is a scary number now. Okay. All <laughs> right. I'm going to go ahead and hit... I'm going to go ahead and hit stop. We'll hold off on the light stuff until I get a better grasp on it to begin with. Okay. I'll I'll do the uh, outro then. Oh, okay. Okay. Unless you'd like me to, but... Um, do you want to? No, you go ahead. Uh, okay. I did the intro, so uh, that's that's the end of the episode, I guess, because um, neither of us have any more comments, and Echo's battery is dying. So, <laughs> uh, if you want to find us online, it's shuttlepodcast.space, not .com. Also, we have merch. You can get a cool mug or a poster. I even bought some of our merch, and it will be coming shortly. And we have a Patreon if you want to support us. You know, throw us a bone. So we can, because we're paying for this out of pocket right now. So, buy yeah. us a coffee or soundproofing pan. Buy us a coffee. Um, we don't have a we don't have a Ko-Fi. <laughs> no, we don't. We don't have a Ko-Fi. We have Patreon, which is the lowest mm. tier is three dollars a month. If you want to give us a tip, um, you'll get some recognition for it. Uh, so yeah, this 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 is Nick and Echo. I'm signing out. <laughs>
Thank you. Boop.